Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. On Commons People this week. On the plus side, John, we are all talking about the Labour Party. Another successful day for the Labour Party. (laughs) Philip, did you fancy her instantly? Absolutely. Steady on, mate. She is the Prime Minister. Took me out in in overalls and a funny orange hat and some sort of slightly weird goggles. What the hell is Tim Farron talking about? All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the HuffPost politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett, Paul War, Kate Forrester, and this week, Aubrey Allegretti. How are you? Did I pronounce your surname correct? You did indeed. Well yeah, well that's, well that's a good start, isn't it? You're learning Italian, aren't you? I'm trying my best, so but I'm not specifically learning your surname. Thanks very much. Um, so uh, this week, let's just kick off straight away with um, Labour's manifesto. It's out there, and nobody was expecting it. Least of all, Andrew Gwynn, who is in charge of Labour's election campaign. Here he is on the Today programme this morning. Well, it's not ideal, but on the plus side... Not ideal? On the plus side, John, we are all talking about the Labour Party this morning. We're all talking about uh, some of the visions uh, of how this country can be better, you know. And then next week you've got to launch your manifesto. Well, (laughs) it's already been launched. Are you still going to have a manifesto launch? We absolutely are because, of course, this is a draft version. So Andrew Gwynn there uh, wasn't expecting to be talking about his manifesto today. Let's let's talk about the little bit of the politics here, first of all. How did this manifesto get out there into several newspapers, The Telegraph, The Mirror, and also Schools Week had the scoop, apparently. Yeah, apparently Schools Week. Well, they're getting very upset they didn't get any credit yeah. last night. Um, well, I'm getting upset that we didn't get the credit for the fact that we broke the story that they had had its own housing department. <laughs> Don't worry, Owen, so. that, was, <laughs> that was in the war zone this Good. morning. No, um, what's really intriguing is, obviously, a lot of people, more than 80 people, have access to bits of the draft manifesto because it's approved today by a very big meeting in London. Um, but very few have access to the whole thing. And individual shadow cabinet ministers even only have access to their bit of the manifesto. Now, that prompts the thought, who's leaked it? There's some suspicion that it could be trade unions because they get to see quite a lot of it. Other suspicion is actually that it could be someone in the leader's office and it's a great big double bluff and they're blaming Labour HQ for this leak when actually it's quite useful for them to get these big policies out early. Um, there's a bit of sort of, you know, criminology going on, but um, it's the fact is it is out there. But the thing with this leak is whenever something gets leaked, you always look at who benefits from the leak. And it seems to me that if you've got a meeting today, if you're, if you're you know, a Corbynite and you put together this manifesto and you've got a meeting today where you're worried that people could take some of the more left-wing things out, if you get it out there in advance, then it's already in the public domain, so you might as well just leave it in. So, And I was hearing there's people in Corbyn's office who were suggesting that any other stories they put out yesterday, for today, were going to get blown out of the water by something else that's going to happen. So mm. it seems to be suggesting that the leader's office did, did know about this. Mm. I mean, there's a suggestion as well that um, HQ actually didn't have the full draft. 
Um, it was only sort of a partial version that they had anyway. That so would make sense because the... they don't trust HQ. Exactly. And, and, you know, there's this deep unease about whether or not people are undermining Jeremy Corbyn and, and allies of Ian McNichol, the party general secretary, whether or not, you know, they would actually leak it. So it doesn't make sense that somehow they are behind this because they might not have had the full thing. So with, with the manifesto obviously dominating the airwaves today, it was a perfect opportunity, wasn't it, Brie, for Jeremy Corbyn at his post launch to stand up and give a really good speech endorsing it. And that's, that's, that's what he did, right? Um, no, unfortunately not. A couple oh, of hours yeah. before, surprisingly, um, a spokeswoman said that uh, he was going to pull out um, and instead it was going to be Andrew Gwynn and Ian Lavery who were going to be there instead, leaving them to ask, uh, answer some sort of slightly awkward questions, um, which, uh, you know, they pulled off. It was a sort of short, sharp event. But yeah, Corbyn was nowhere to be seen. And uh, I think it was uh, Ian Lavery who said that, yeah, Corbyn was busy dealing with internal party matters. It was a hell of a poster as well, though, wasn't it? I mean, Kate, you saw the, you did the poster story last night, didn't you? I did. Yeah. What is in the poster? For those who haven't seen it. Okay, so um, paint us a picture with your words. It's it's for the many, not the few. Really? Um, Twice. Right. Um, So there's that. Um, There's also. um, (laughs) How do you you phrase it? I would phrase it as basic. <laughs> do, do you think that's fair? It's, okay, but it's, it's a picture of, of, picture of, of the United Kingdom. It's a picture of the United Kingdom Britain. being held back by what looks suspiciously like Theresa May's arm, yeah, right. um, right. with a with a blue bracelet on. Well, which you say is, held which back, is a clue. It, sort of, it, it looked as though it was implying that it was being dragged towards Europe. To me, yeah, <laughs> yes, that is a very very good point. Very, very good point. Good point. Very good point. And, still- and and I think actually there's the other reason that Corbyn was late. I understand, or not there, I should say. Um, and I don't know why he didn't publicise this. Apparently, he's got this tradition of walking to the town hall every uh, general election to deliver in person his nomination papers. And apparently, that is what he's been doing this morning. He's the last Labour candidate in London not to be a candidate because he hasn't actually put, submitted his papers. Because he's got this little tradition where he walks and does it himself. But anyway, well, maybe that is the real reason. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the launch was at uh, nine o'clock and this meeting's supposed to be happening at about noon, isn't it? Uh, exactly, but it's a long so walk, maybe. <laughs> Let's yeah, talk about the content of the manifesto. Then. The, a lot of the, the front pages screamed today back to the 1970s. And some of the things that were in the manifesto, there was being about rail privatisation when the franchises expire. There was bringing back the mail into public ownership. Uh, there wasn't. There's a talk they're going to pre, uh, take back into ownership the electricity companies, but it wasn't quite that. They were going to set up some publicly owned electricity companies in the regions. It was abolishing tuition fees. I've looked at all of these, and the earliest one this is is 1990 electricity privatised. She's not taking us back to the 70s, but back to 1989 <laughs> when the first Slow Motors album came out. For me, that's a great time to go back to. Interestingly... Just for the music. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Interestingly, that is also in the Greens Environment Manifesto, which they are launching today. Don't ruin it. We'll talk about that in depth later. Sorry. No, we're not, obviously. Um, <laughs> sorry, you mean, you sorry mean Greens. The publicly owned energy companies? Yeah. That's one of their policies. They want to oh. set up um, sort of community-run right. energy I think that, that's what's interesting. It speaks to a wider truth about this whole manifesto and how radical it is, which is, you know, in many ways, the people on the left really want full-blooded renationalisation. Why can't you renationalise all these industries? Why can't you have a proper renationalisation of the rail industry, for example? But you're not. You're getting piecemeal. In other words, when a franchise runs out, then a publicly owned company will be allowed to bid for it is or take it, it over. Just, they won't 
automatically take it over. They can bid for yes, it. Yes, exactly. Right, okay. um, or or in, in some cases, when it comes to the energy firms, they will be taking it over. But the fact is, in energy, for example, it's a really difficult market. You know, you've got to buy and sell energy. You've got to trade in it. It's, it's not for some sort of... Um, inexperienced company to do even if it's a public sector one and there are co-ops small co-ops that do things but this is on a much bigger scale but isn't i mean the sort of i can see why people are saying go back to the 70s right because the basic theme of this manifesto is very much public good private bad it's very much the market has failed the only way we're going to get things like great house building fairness in different sectors is if the government the public step in but the point you made which i think is the one that that never really gets answered is what makes you think that a bureaucrat in whitehall or where or a town hall up north or whatever is going to be any have any greater expertise than the people who work for these companies so in a way i guess it is it is going back to the same isn't it what do you reckon brie yeah quite possibly um i mean i think there was some there was some some briefing against you know the manifesto by those on the sort of right to moderate wing of the party um they clearly see it as uh you know, something that's going to perform very, very badly for them electorally and suggestion that, you know, Labour will lose uh, as many seats as it did in 83 and 79. So, yeah, there's certainly that fear. I think there is, though. Don't forget, a lot of polls show that nationalisation is popular. So rail nationalisation in particular. I mean, a lot of, you know, even Tory voters quite like the idea. I'm sick of these, you know, delays, etc. Why don't we have some proper control? Take back control. Why don't we use that phrase? (laughs) And that's what surprises me. Why doesn't Labour use that take back control message in its manifesto? You could do that on localism. You could do it on they renationalising. They can't take back their own comms. <laughs> 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 so no, cool. That is a really good point. But I think that you said that that policy is popular rail prioritisation. But if you look through all these policies, free twi- would you like free Twitter feeds? Would you like something free? Yes, I would. You know, people are gonna people are gonna individually like these policies. But you put it all together. And the only way they're going to raise the money is by raising corporation tax, which they say is historically low for developed countries, yeah. which is not. For a the start. problem is that the IFS said this week that actually, you know, if if you jack up corporation tax by that much, it ultimately you might not get as much money as you want because you know it, it hits the economy and jobs in the long term, and that that will be difficult. That's why I mean I. I put this morning in the email i don't like to repeat what's in the email but what was in the email was this line that yeah, someone takes place now listeners <laughs> someone said that this this manifesto the corbyn's manifesto is miliband without the balls now that that that, that, that can be read <laughs> in lots of ways which is you know balls was the sort of seen as the sort of red tory you know the guy who was not actually going to give the workers what they wanted and pay pay caps and public sector etc etc mr austerity light so that's one version of it but the other is that actually balls was fiscally credible and you know a lot of people in the sort of centre of the party think that that's what's the, the big hole in this manifesto it's not credible economically I mean if we're looking at if we're looking at the manifesto if the leak did come from leader's office we've got to look at it again as we have to look at the entire election campaign as a kind of quasi leadership campaign um, you know what's going to come after the election when the probably inevitable happens all of this Everything in it plays exactly to Corbyn's sort of core base. And, you know, all of getting all of these policies out there, people, his core support are going to say, are going to rally around him and say, if we lose the man, we lose these policies, we lose all these fantastic policies, and this is what the Labour Party should be about. And, of course, in, similar to 83, in 83 when the manifesto was put forward on the, the Clause 5 kind of thing, the si- Labour Party signed everything through without even looking at it because the, the theory was, if we're going to lose... Let's lose on Tony Benn's terms. Yeah. And I guess this way, 
for good or ill, in the same way that Andy Burnham said after he won the mayoralty last week, this is Jeremy Corbyn's moment. Well, this is the left's moment now, isn't they it? They want him to own own the yeah. manifesto so he can own the defeat. Yeah. That's the point. Let's and see. they'll all be agreed on that. That's something which everyone, everybody Let's in the party see. can agree on. That this is Jeremy <laughs> Corbyn's. Um, we talked a bit about... about um, when things are privatised, and that's this week's quiz. No funny name. Oh, like we're recording it. it slightly early this week, so there's no... Anyway. Oh, no excuses. So I couldn't think of anything. I'm tired. It's busy. Um, <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Isn't it, Bruce? Get on with yeah. it. Sorry, right. When was British Airways privatised? These are all going to be before I was born. Yeah, right. that actually, that's um, a fair point. Are but you trying to imply for your, before you were born as well? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just helping Bree. That's quite a good... Okay. But he's, he's a student of political did history, so happen, he should know. Did this happen before Bree was born? What year were you, <laughs> <laughs> you born, Bree? 93? Oh, oh my God. I'm sorry. 93? Oh. This is getting out. Even Kate now feels old. Yeah. And that's like, hard. Shouldn't you be in school? That's anyway, so, <laughs> sorry. let's do it. Brie or not Brie? Brie or not to Brie? Brie or not to Brie? Okay. Okay. So... British Airways. That's definitely that is definitely before Brie. That's pre Brie. So pre Brie. What what year do you think? Uh eighty nine? Brie? Eighty five? I'm gonna say eighty six. Eighty seven. Oh. oh that's when I was born. Uh was it? Yeah. BBC magazines. Ooh, that 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 was probably quite late. I think that was quite late. Uh, if you can call this a privatisation, um, I would say. Count for the purposes two, of this quiz. I think it's something like 2002. Okay. Mm. I'm going to say 99. I was going to say 95. 2011. Oh, wow. Don't see, yeah. even later. Recent, very recent. The stationary office. Oh, right. stationary office. The stationary office. Oh, crikey. All right, let's go for a, a major era. And 95. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say 92. 91? 96. Oh, oh close. Uh, the Seven Bridge. Seven I once wrote a song God. about Seven Bridge. I didn't even know it Doesn't had matter. been privatised. <laughs> Bring it in next yeah, week. Yeah, okay, um, 2012. Was that Richie Edwards? No. 2012. No. Uh, 2004. Way out, Brie. Damn it. 2015? 1992. <laughs> oh, wow. And uh, Rolls Royce. Now, there's two answers to Rolls Royce. Oh, yes. I would say, I think. Ah. Oh. Rolls Royce. I'm going to say 82. Okay. There's something in the 60s okay. about Rolls Royce. Uh, mm. Don't want to rush you, but. Okay, sorry, 1980. 1980. 84. Uh, no, it was first nationalised in 1973, and it was again nationalised in 1987. No, privatised. Privatised. <laughs> <laughs> it it's been a long night, privatized. listener. Yeah, it's been a long, it's been a long week, listener. Anyway, right, thanks for that. That was this week's quiz. So I hope Excellent. You anyway, so that was Labour. Uh, but very quickly, Paul, you put a spot like Brexity in the in the manifesto very quickly. Yes. Um, the key thing at this meeting today that, that's missing from this draft manifesto is any reference to freedom of movement and the EU. And Keir Starmer only a couple of weeks ago said that EU freedom of movement rules would end under Labour, under a Labour government. No reference to that in this draft manifesto. And I think that, well, I'm told there will be quite a battle today to talk about that, as well as immigration to toughen up the language on immigration, which some trade unions want as well. So let's see after when this podcast comes out, we'll find out whether or not anyone's got their way.
Excellent. Um, so this week, Theresa May has tried to show a bit more of a human side. And this included a grilling on the BBC One Show sofa with her husband, uh, Philip May. Let's have a quick listen. I mean, how hard is it to win a negotiation with your wife? Oh, that's a good question. Well, there's, there's give and take in every marriage, isn't there? Of course. There? Yeah. I, I get to decide when I take the bins out. Not if I take the bins out. <laughs> but, I mean, of course... There's boy jobs and girl jobs, you see. There's boy oh, really? jobs and girl who jobs. The, who, yeah, what, what boy, boy and girl jobs? I, I definitely do the, the taking the bins out. I do the traditional boy jobs, by and large. Yeah. There we are. Boys' jobs and girls' jobs. I like that. <laughs> do I like that? No. Do I find that a little bit dated? Yes, I do. Um, very quickly, what do we think of her on the one show with um, Woody Allen? I mean, um, her husband. Oh, <laughs> cheeky. Yeah, Arthur Askey. Um, Kate, what do you think? did she come across normal? Is that, was the idea to come across normal? Yeah, the idea was to come across as, you know, more human. The softer side of Theresa May, shall we say. Um, it was okay. I mean, she shoehorned in a double strong and stable while talking about yeah. her childhood. <laughs> Which is pretty impressive. Your eyes were <laughs> um, Philip was good. I he thought was good, he? he was chatty. I thought he was. Co- I he was, yeah. Yeah. He, was. he was good, wasn't he? I mean, the fact is, that a lot of people who know them say that he is ninety-five percent of the personality of that couple. Right. Um, <laughs> so you know, it, that, he, and he showed it. You know, he's quite charming, uh, and you know, he's a, very honest as well. I thought that was quite good. He didn't very try honest. and sugarcoat anything. What was the, he let slip something, didn't he? Do you remember About, what he let slip? Yeah, she, that she'd wanted to be PM when she was in the shadow cabinet, yeah. Yeah. which is very interesting. And that dates back to 19, I think, 99. That's quite a long time ago, no, when, she, when she first got in the shadow cabinet. But she he, did go for 2005. When she first went for the shadow cabinet, then she joined it. I think he it? said 20 years ago. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Or, or, oh, wow. or up to 20 years ago. So I think it's which kind of fits, really. There was a weird bit where he said that he really fancied her when he first met her. Yeah. He said that she was a lovely girl and still yeah. is, which was a bit gross. Grabbed her <laughs> hand. Yeah. It's a bit weird, wasn't it? Didn't like that. Prime Minister, mate. Show some respect. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, but she also received a bit of grilling this week from an actual, genuine, real person. She went to a factory in Leeds and uh, someone there quizzed her over Jeremy Corbyn's £10 minimum wage plans. You mentioned earlier that you're not, you haven't got no plans for childcare, but do you not think it's a big issue that? Parents are now thinking it, you're, they're better off not working than rather than going to work because money's that ridiculous. You can pay up to like 40, 60 pounds for a day. You, you're more or less going to work every, per day to pay for your child. You're not earning nothing, so you're better off being at home. What have you got plans for that? Because the only thing I can think of is with Jeremy Corbyn saying wages up to 10 pounds, that's the only thing that's going to help us out. Other than that, like every, every day, no helpers. It's, we need money, like bills. It'll go up and they're not going to make a difference. So it's, it's about now, what's going to help us now, and we need help with childcare, not bills that are going to decrease over five years. Now, Theresa May in the factory this week was quite interesting because a couple of hours before, Michael Crick of Channel 4 News sent this tweet out saying that journalists could only ask questions if they were submitted them first to the Tory aid at press conferences, which wasn't quite true. The process is you have to ask a Tory aid if you're allowed to, if you can ask, be put on the list to ask a question. You don't have to say what question is you want to ask, right? So that was a, I just want to clarify that, dear listeners. Um, but there was this this idea, wasn't there, that Theresa May wasn't out meeting real people, and then this week she went to a factory in Leeds and she just said, right, ask me anything, and they did, and it was a real. I thought range. it was quite refreshing actually yeah. because you saw those, you know, 
great Yorkshire accents asking proper Yorkshire tough blunt questions uh, and then that leads factory you know it wasn't an easy ride and they they were quite genuine and that guy that we just heard you know summed up for a lot of people look if this is a pocketbook election Jeremy Corbyn's the only one offering me pounds in, in my you know my back pocket in this minimum wage rise um, and that, it went viral online because that tapped into something mm-hmm. not just amongst Labour supporters but actually yeah here's a real voter telling it how it is I thought what was interesting as well was when she was asked questions of things like overseas aid, she didn't give the kind of... She didn't fudge the answer. She was very clear. We give money overseas because it helps us with our soft power. She, she was very... She didn't try and sugarcoat it. She didn't try and spin it. I thought that was quite... Yeah. Again, quite refreshing to see a yeah. politician do that. I mean, the, the fox hunting line came out of that as well, didn't it? Um, you know, there didn't seem to be any kind of sugarcoating, as you say. It was quite refreshing to see somebody kind of relaxed and being able to talk about their policies. And I think Jeremy Corbyn adopted like a similar... Yeah. kind of style earlier in the week and I think journalists were all incredibly sort of grateful for it and, and talking about how you know although it was a bit of a rarity in the campaign you know it was actually quite refreshing I mean if you're ahead as much as she is in the polls for God's sake when can you, you surely this is the time to relax and if you can't relax now crikey and that's why I think her aides are saying look just be yourself because actually the more you do it the better you get at this let's be honest and she can be quite stilted socially but actually this week I thought in that exchange in Leeds she, she looked very much like herself that she's in private but is there not the danger, Kate, that you, you end up, you could leave yourself open to those moments? You saw someone having a go at Tim Farron, for example, in, in the street a couple of weeks ago. You know, we remember Gordon Brown and Julian Duffy, and obviously that more came out of what was picked up afterwards. But you could end up having one of those election moments when you meet real people. And surely she wants to avoid that. She does. And, you know, that's always a risk. But unfortunately, I mean, that is an election campaign. That's politics. You can't, it's not something that you can get away from. And I think if you try and sort of shut her off from that, people aren't stupid. People know that's what you're trying to do. And I think um, in terms of going back to the journalist thing, like pre-asking questions, yesterday I think they were all told, just put your hands up and take your chances and she'll pick you at random. So they've sort of moved away now from the pre-selecting people to ask questions as well. So I think it's kind of opened it up. In that, every sense. Yeah. There has been a t- worrying tendency in number 10 of like under Cameron as well mm. to ask journalists, what are you going to ask? Mm. Which is kind of just strange. I mean, I don't ever remember that being under a Labour government, I've got to say, and I've been around quite a while. But there was this tendency under Cameron to sort of gently say, uh, well, what, what sort of issue are you going to ask? And, and then they'd push it even further. Well, what sort of bit of that issue are you going to ask? And you'd normally you'd flannel and then you'd ask completely different questions. Mm. You know, that's the way it works. But. Um, so Crick's on to something, but he's certainly not on to some kind of grand conspiracy no. that, con- that journalists are taking part in. And I think it's quite dangerous, given the online atmosphere out there, to somehow make the journalists some, uh, as if we're complicit in all these party messages. Exactly. I think that was the problem with the, with the, the Crick tweet, was it gave an impression of something which wasn't quite there. And a lot of people who were so willing to look for complicity between us yeah. and politicians. I say this all the time. We're just trying to get to the day, people. We haven't got the energy to evolve a conspiracy theory. Was we, 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 well, that just me? That is just you. I'm whinging no, a lot this true. week, aren't I? I'm whinging a lot. Sorry, Bree. This is not, this is not good for you to hear this. Anyway, um, but Mr Ned Simons, who is not here, as our listener will have realised, uh, this week was out and about with um, his favourite person in the whole world, Mr Tim Farron, and he spent some time with Tim Farron on, uh, at the back of the then bus. Not in that way. All right. Uh, and here's a clip now of him talking. And listen in particular for the, the football banter between the two. Ned knows nothing about football. So this is <laughs> as he tries to flag his way through it. So I'm here at the back of the Lib Dem battle bus. We're motoring through the Cornish countryside. We are in Cornwall now. Um, yes. With Tim Farron, uh, leader of Lib Dems. You've just got off a hovercraft. Uh, How was that? 
it was it was fun uh, and uh, uh, you know very similar to my own patch. You got a huge area of sort of tidal sands where people get into trouble and um, very often and need rescuing. And you had a, uh, a volunteer force of search and rescue. Uh, pe- people who, who you know saved lives and yeah. took me out in, in overalls and a funny orange hat and some sort of slightly weird goggles and clearly make some wonderful photographs for tomorrow that will make me look you know moderately <laughs> ridiculous but that's part of the object. It seems in the campaign that sort of you seem to be a magnet for the kind of the more crazy stuff. You, know, you had that guy shouting at you. You had. Yeah. Uh, it, do you enjoy those yeah. those parts? I, I, mean, I definitely definitely do. Um, I think you can't want to lead the people of this country if you don't like the people of this country. Sure. And there is a real sense from Theresa May, uh, unless I'm very much misreading her, she just doesn't like people. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, she, she, wouldn't she spend some time with them? You shouldn't be afraid in politics of someone coming up and saying something rude or disagreeable or just disagreeing with you. Yeah. That's at normal life. And if you aren't robust enough to tackle that, how are you going to cope with Juncker? We're all kind of sort of in the, I guess it's week one of the battle bus, is it? Do you have any sort of battle bus tips? How do you survive? Do you stay well, healthy? Well, first of all, I mean, uh, I keep saying. We've been for a run last night, so that was great. So staying reasonably healthy is good. Eat some fruit. Um, and uh, other than that, you know, talk to marvellous people like you and it just <laughs> makes the hours tick by. And we were in, um, just for listeners to get an idea, the back end of the coach here, this uh, apparently was Crystal Palace's coach. So really? we are, yes, so we are sat basically in uh, Pardue's boudoir. So the coach... Um, very, yeah, I, I don't, don't think too hard about it. I think that. the coach has gone up in the world, hasn't it? Do you think so? I think, you know, as a Blackburn Rovers fan, we, we look loftily two divisions up now <laughs> in their lower Premier League status. But, um, Does it have a name? The bus, we should christen it. I've no idea. We haven't given him one name, no, no Not name yet. yet. We'll something think of something. To think about. I'll put it out to the listeners. Put out to Twitter. Yeah, yeah, Twitter and the listeners to the podcast to, to yeah. name, name the Nothing list. Nothing immediately. Maybe we'll call him Malcolm after my mate who accosted me in opposition last week. Great, thank you. Yeah, so uh, as, as Ned, and, Ned and Tim, old buddies there, discussing Tim Farron out on Hovercraft this week. He's very much going for the look. If I'm if I'm in a silly picture, at least a picture will get everywhere. Kind of yeah. campaigning, and that's that's right. That's that's kind of what he's got to do. Bree, is that what you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like he's had his fair share of kind of awkward encounters on the campaign trail, and I don't think he's shied away from it. You know, he's usually quite engaging in these conversations yeah. because he knows that you know even if something is a bit sort of stands out a little bit and might not automatically make him look great, he he argues his point. You know, he he. He's going to make the most of these photo opportunities, and you know he seems to be doing a pretty good job it's of that. Quite a good debate as well. So he's, he's not afraid of actually arguing and no. making a case, and he sounds quite eloquent. And you know, with the smile on his face as well, which I think is quite yeah. Good. I love that and part. you know, the fact that last week he ended up hugging the guy who really hated him, the Brexit voter. That's sort of that's quite refreshing, really, well, to be think, honest. Yeah. Especially given the the age we live in, where you know it can be quite dangerous on the campaign trail, as we saw last year. Speaking of danger on the campaign trail, hello, Kate. Hi. You uh, engaged with some real people against oh, yeah. the health and safety regulations. I did. Um, and you uh, went on to a focus group in um, Solihull, Solihull, I believe, yeah. with yeah. voters from across Birmingham. Yeah. Um, so let's have a little listen to uh, what, what some of those voters said. Probably what I can't vote Labour as much as I've voted Labour all my life. I probably won't be able to vote Labour this time. And what frightens me is that there'll be a lot of uh, Labour voters who won't vote Tory because it's against the principles, but then they'll vote for the Liberals. And that will be even worse. They've, you know, we've got them as the major opposition, and I think that anybody who's voted Leave and believes in democracy currently must vote Conservative, because that's that. You know, 
Otherwise, we, we, I think if we're not even going to end up with another referendum and, and ask the question again, and we're going around in circles. So, is, is, it, is it now our duty to vote Tory? Is that what I've got to do? I'm going to get thrown out of the country? Well, he said if you voted Leave, then ah, if you okay. believe in democracy, then you have to vote Tory. That's you then, Paul. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was really, really interesting to sort of hear what real people think about Theresa May and about Jeremy Corbyn and about everything. Um, and what was very, very clear was that nobody had any confidence in Corbyn's ability to deliver on Brexit in particular. Um, that particular clip, um, the group that that clip was from, all voted leave, but they described themselves as soft leavers. So most of them said they didn't know which way they were going to go until they were in, until they were actually there, until they were putting their cross in the box. Um, and all of them said Brexit wasn't a key issue in terms of their voting in the general election. But Theresa May, as a whole, they had much more confidence in her to um, to stick to what she says, they said. Um, and also, interestingly, very interestingly, um, they said that they didn't feel um, that, the, that there's been a no-brainer person to vote for since Tony Blair was leader of the Labour Party. That must hurt a lot of people. It was very interesting. Um, no-brainer person. That's so true, isn't it? You think about yeah. it like that. I know. And I love that quote from the guy also in that focus group who said, uh, comparing all the leaders, he said, well, Theresa May is a bit of a dope, but she's less of a dope than Jeremy Corbyn. He said, it's, it's kind yeah. of <laughs> he said, I've never, ever voted for someone and gone, they're, they're great, this person's great. I've just voted on the basis of this person's a bit less rubbish than this person, which is really depressing. But just kind of confirm what we all think, I guess, in many ways. But I think the good point about Cor- interesting point about Corbyn there was that going back to the manifesto again, we say people might like these policies, but if you can't trust the guy, the head of the party, to deliver them, then why are you going to waste waste your vote in that sense? Well, exactly, and I think um, it's sort of stressed. And James um, James Morris, who um, chaired the focus group, did a really interesting piece um, afterwards, um, where he basically said there seems to be a kind of Tony Blair-shaped hole in the Labour Party. People are crying out to kind of support Labour and support what they're all about, but they can't get behind. A pre-rec Tony Blair-shaped yeah. hole. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's well, worth yeah, pointing out. It's funny because yeah. I, I spoke to, an uh, interview's going up next week, but a little, a little pre here for you, listener. Uh, I spoke to Neil Coyle, who was a Labour MP, is a Labour MP in um, Bermondsey, who nominated Corbyn for the leadership and immediately kind of regretted it and has ever since been sort of in hands and he said that when he goes out and speaks to people particularly businesses they he says he said they are desperate to vote labor they want to vote labor they need a reason to vote labor which is obviously i mean he would say that wouldn't he i guess but it does fit in with what the focus group is saying that you know if there was someone we could vote for we of course we would have left them left them for good um this week's in case you missed it uh i'm gonna be incredibly selfish and just flag up a story which uh, put together uh which i thought was really important actually and it was about uh, the housing crisis and um I spoke to a, a single mum who has an eight-month-old baby, an 11-year-old son, who uh, fell behind on her rent and is now living in a one-room B&B. Um, been living there for nearly six weeks now, and I discovered, uh, through looking through some research, that um, families living in B&Bs for longer than six weeks, which is illegal, longer than six weeks, has gone up nearly 800% since the Conservatives came into power. So when we think about the housing crisis, certainly I think about it in terms of you know getting on a house ladder and that kind of stuff. But actually on a much kind of simpler level, it's p- people literally homeless who are being housed in temporary accommodation. Yeah. 
I mean, it's, it's and that, there's shocking. A, what was really telling about that piece that you did was actually um, she wasn't unusual. There are a lot of people, particularly mums, you know, with young babies, you know, they're less than a year old, they're months, months sometimes in some cases, weeks old, and they're, they're discharged from hospital and they're going to B&B accommodation. And it, it's, it's quite... Um, shocking really that it's become an accepted fact yeah. that these numbers have increased and I think uh, if Theresa May really does want to show that she's uh, sort of an interventionist prime minister who can pull the levers of power then I, I'm pretty sure that they need to start tackling that. I mean, and the thing is this, this woman works, she has a job, she works part time in Sainsbury's, she's off on maternity leave at the moment and when I put this online I got a lot of comments from people Oh, you know, why should we be funding this woman's lifestyle or something to the father, all this kind of stuff. Forget that. Forget the mother, if we will. Think about the children. I know it's a cliche, but think about what's going to happen to this 11-year-old boy living in this, this eight-month-old baby. So it's not, you know, you might want to punish the, the feckless families if that's how you see them. But actually, the only people you're really, really hurting are the children. I just think it's so bizarre that this has kind of gone on and it's all... I don't feel like it's had enough publicity. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Well, it has now. It has yeah. now, yeah, listener, because you listen to the podcast. Uh, Bree, thank you very much for uh, for coming in. This is your last one, isn't it? I'm afraid so. Yeah. You're going, aren't you? I am next Friday. Cool. Oh, it's, it's a sh- you know we'll miss him. We'll definitely oh. miss him. He did a really good piece this week. I just recommend you check it out on uh, integration. So just talk through this quickly about this integration piece in Brighton before you go. Uh, so went down to Brighton a couple of weeks ago and we met with a table tennis charity. Um, who work with a bunch of different groups, uh, but the one we were focusing on this week for um, our Beyond Brexit series for immigration was uh, refugees and EU migrants and also the white working class community in Brighton, so the kind of host community, the people that are taking them in. So we had fantastic interviews with uh, the co-founder of the club and um, a couple of the refugees and also a couple of the kind of native-born Brits who have uh, received them into it. And it's, yeah, fantastic piece. Incredible video. Shout out to uh, Eve Hartley on the video team for doing that. And, uh, yeah, fantastic. Really, really inspiring. And given that we've got uh, the final thing is our election section, that leads us into it nicely, oh, no, nicely doesn't it? Election section. OK, right, yeah, definitely maybe. Or what's the story, Corbyn Glory? Well, well, it's a bit tricky this week. Trickier this week than last week, isn't go, it? I'm going to go. Gonna go what's, yeah, I'm going to go Corbyn Glory because at least he's on the on the pitch this week. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah he's definitely. He's been out about. He's done some nice photo calls. He's you know he's been seen sort of singing. Whether it's you know stand by your man with a busker. He had his big launch. Was it stand by man or stand by me? He'll stand by me. <laughs> stand by me. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Similar sentiment. Yeah. Um, but he had a big launch, you know, in Manchester, um, and you know he got on the TV. There's no question. There was anger. Angry jazz, there was calm jazz, there was zen light jazz. So he's been out and about. People have seen a lot of him this week. And with this manifesto as well, a lot of action on the coverage of it, some of these radical policies, you've got to say at least he's 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 in there pitching. Let's give it Kate Corbin Glory. Agree. Yeah, definitely. Green Corbin Glory. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Right, where we are, listener. So we're not just all about Theresa May, as someone said. We're about Corbin as well. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and we will uh we, you will hear from us again next week. Thanks very much. 